If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Beautiful Humans, the social change cast, where behavior analysis and social justice collide. Join us as we aim to move the needle on personal and social change by tapping into the beautiful humans inside of all of us. Follow us on Spotify, Apple, or whatever medium you prefer to make sure you never miss an episode. You can find us on Instagram at Beautiful Humans Change and on Facebook at Beautiful Humans, the social change cast. All right, we made it. Show number one. Oh my goodness. I can't believe it's finally here. <laughs> We've had lots of months of hard work put in behind the scenes, lots of one-on-one meetings, lots of uh, late night brainstorming. Uh, so we're super excited to finally be able to present this to you. So we wanted to um, to start, first of all, to tell you all how we got here and have a conversation and tell you the journey, Right. Um, so by the way, this is Aaron, because we have not perfected our introduction yet. This is Aaron. And I'm Denisha. All right. <laughs> so Denisha and I did not formally meet at this, but this is what the catalyst for this whole show was. Um, we both attended the ACT, so Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Boot Camp that happened in Baltimore last year. So 2018, that was almost was almost a year ago. Almost a year. Um And I think that event for, especially for me speaking, was a very powerful, life-changing. It was four days, very intensive. Um, And it was just learning about ACT in general, but there were a lot of specific uh, events that took place that really kind of propelled me forward with um, really changing my direction and, and actions, specific actions that I was going to take. So, um, so there were a couple things that were, I started to recognize uh, some differences in how people were being treated. There was one female presenter, her name was at the bottom. Um, her PhD credential was left off. Um, she was uh, one of the most engaging speakers, all, all the speakers were fantastic, but it was like her time was cut short every, it was just like these little kind of like micro things that kind of kept adding up and adding up. And then at the very end, uh, they had a panel, all four, all four of the major presenters. So, um, there were three males, um, were there three males? I know one left Yeah, was not there. Three. Uh Uh-huh. And then one was three males and one female. But what had happened was they had invited somebody else up on stage and it was kind of somebody who, um, another white male who had, had provided some good information. However, there were a vast majority of people and, and people who have could have contributed just as much as he had, but he was the one that was invited up and, um, and being a witness to kind of the events that, took place on that stage where the female presenter um, stood up and said something and drew attention to this, uh, to this issue that was happening. And it got really uncomfortable. But for me, that uh, was a catalyst for this whole thing. Um, what, what was your kind of take on, on those events? Um, so, you know what, that whole weekend was very interesting. Um, I typically avoid conferences or have avoided conferences for a number of different reasons that I'm sure we can get into uh, at a later time. But just being there um, and seeing what transpired, especially that that day, like I definitely noticed the first thing looking at the um, looking at the agenda and seeing the name, the PhD being left off and being last. And um, but to see what happened when that extra person was added and then them rectifying it by like bringing other women on the stage, um, essentially. Mm -hmm. But I think what we noticed there as audience members 
was what it looks like when you get called out or called in. I think in that moment that uh, it depended on, you know, who those people were to one another. Um, I think that there was a calling in and of asking people to do better and recognizing what they like, how their um, biases or how their privilege comes out. Like the fact that you would just walk up to a, a man who was not on the original slate to say, Hey, come sit with us on this stage right. and project right. your experience or expertise onto this crowd that did not pay or sign up to see you. So I, I thought that was very interesting. Um, I will have to say though, as a, as a person of color, um, the one thing that I still noticed though, is after that change was made, that the stage was still white. Without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Without and, a doubt. Uh, and that was still very, very telling of our field, number one, but just very interesting to see, um, to see anyway, like, you know, and, and, and when you get into these behavior analytic, um, in these events and you normally see a sea of, uh, whiteness, a sea of mm-hmm. white folks, um, you know, the few specs stick out very clearly, but I'm always like, there's one. <laughs> Um, and you don't typically see them very often on this stage. So, um, it was just something that I noticed as well. Definitely. Definitely. And I remember, um, like I said, we didn't, you and I did not meet face to face there, but we had both made a connection in Evelyn Gould who, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I remember you speaking up very, uh, passionately about a couple things. Uh, and, and so, I guess you had made a connection with Evelyn and then I had made a connection with, and so through that she connected us. And, um, and I don't, I think, okay. So we had thrown out some ideas about writing papers or whether it's book chapters and, and all of that as well and good. And our field has so much of that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but what I kind of felt and where the idea for the podcast came from, and there have been some great behavior analytic podcasts that have come out that have given um, a voice to kind of what we're saying, but nothing within this realm connecting behavior analysis and social justice. And there are lots of, whether it's Facebook groups that are starting to have conversations like this, but it's people hiding behind like these, you know, message boards and their keyboards and, and they can say things. And I want to give, a voice to um, to people through this podcast, which is we'll talk about like the future of this, you know, down the road too. But um, is something that that it has a voice and faces to it um, that that can make people kind of feel uncomfortable that you can't you know really run away from if you. <laughs> uh, it's just it's it's a different platform that that nobody's really um, targeted yet, and I think it's because it's challenging and it gets uncomfortable and hard things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it it's vulnerable, I think for sure. Um, so, yeah. yeah. It is. Can I tell you something? I don't know if you've had similar uh-huh. conversations with yourself, but even making the decision to to do this has been kind of nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. Like I have been in the arena of social justice for so long, but that's been my outside world. Like that's what I do when I get off from work. Um, and I mentioned it to you before, just talking about what are the risks of speaking up? And it's a lot. And it's especially, um, it feels like there's so many more risks when you are uh, of an oppressed group or a targeted group, right? And so um, even wanting to do this with you, I'm just, I've been having to deal with like, or, you know, and the other stuff that I've been doing in terms of like diversity and privilege, those talks, just having to kind of like talk to myself and talk myself down with that, like anxiety of um, being afraid of what happens when (laughs) your personal spills over to your professional. And that's really messed up to say, because I don't take off any part of my identity when I go to work. So this is really not personal spilling over to professional. It's literally like it's already been there. And so it's very interesting just to even to have to come to terms with. And now you show up as your full self and put yourself out there to say that some things aren't exactly right and we can do better on. And that that includes calling things for what they are. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh some folks might not like that. And so I've, I've just had some conversations with myself having to deal with 
with that. I'm wondering, have you had any? Oh, without a doubt. And actually, I think that's why it's taken the better part of a year for this to real like first episode where uh, by the time you and I met, we're probably like, you know, 10 months out. Right. And mm -hmm. it for a while, we kind of, you know, sat on our hands, um, you know, and, and even when we really started to like push, I think it was still for me, there's there is that it, it's it it's scary. It's really mm -hmm. scary. Like I um in order to do this the right way, and we'll talk about values in a little bit, but in line with my values, it's going to require a lot of vulnerability, a lot of openness. Um, uh, and honestly, a lot of, uh, you know, humility on my part. Like, I don't know, like learning who you are through this whole process um, and your experiences and um, being okay to say something that's not right and being able to model messing up, right, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, is, uh, it's hard, but it's, it's necessary. And I think that our field, as far as behavior analysts, we don't know how to do that. We don't know how to be wrong and we don't know how to learn from our mistakes and we don't know how to change our own behavior. So I think like for me, like that was where um, the challenge came from and finding this hole, like I've spotted this problem and I finally found a person that can like, and learned about myself enough to be able to do that. So, so um when we were starting this whole process too, we, we were talking out names <laughs> and we uh, had thrown out the name shitty humans as first, because that's kind of what we were viewing. Right. Uh, as far as like, this is who we are. And we were said, okay, shitty humans, the social change gas. And we liked it for a while. And then you threw out this, like, Hey, go talk about why you changed it. I like it. <laughs> um, you know what? I think, Initially with the shitty humans part, it's just recognize that's the humility component that's in there, right? Being able to say, I think I'm a great person, but actually humbly admit to having fault and that I can be shitty towards my fellow humans every once in a while. But um, yeah, something clicked one day, Aaron, and I was like, that's not going to fare well over everyone. And I don't normally care about things faring well <laughs> with everyone. Like, that's okay if this not, it's not what you like. And we don't have to necessarily right. provide content for every single person. But um, I, I, I felt like it might be really nice to talk about the person that we strive to be. So like we can recognize that we're really shitty, but we can also recognize that we're striving to be better and we're striving to be beautiful. And so being able to change that that function in our in our, our mind right? and you know keeping it in the forefront, like this is who I'm striving to be and this is the person that um, I will be. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we all have moments where we're like, wow, that was like I should not have done that. But it's being able to recognize, and I, I had a thought when you just said that, I can't remember what it was, but it was like being able to recognize when our, our privilege kind of takes over and we're um, being, we're the benefit of something. Um, and that in and of itself is shitty, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's recognizing that and changing your behavior. And we'll talk about, you know, act and values and committed action and all that stuff, but changing your behavior and, and being like, all right, this is not like, this is important to me. I need to behave in a different way. And so I like, when you said beautiful humans, it's like, that's the goal, right? Like that's, that's what you want to achieve. And even though that does not come with perfection, like we still struggle. It's, it's a constant battle um, moment to moment, but we make those uh, moment to moment decisions to, to live in our values, right? And to be beautiful humans. So yeah. that was perfect. It was like perfect teamwork coming up with that name. <laughs> so yeah, so and then you had also suggested the term changed cast, which I love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, So explain that. Cast. Um, yeah, so I, for me, I feel like that's the purpose, right? Um, I don't for anything that I do, if I'm going to show up anywhere, talk about anything, the purpose is not just to talk, to hear myself talk. Like, I don't love to hear myself talk that much. Um, and I think a lot of times, you know, especially when it comes to like diversity, you know, your agency will have you do some modules and you'll complete an exam to show that you're culturally competent or whatever, <laughs> um, but nothing changes. Except for the fact that you were able to sit through this exam, like that's the behavior that we were actually observing. Um, 
But change cast, I think, just also brings that to the forefront that the purpose here is to create some type of change, personal change, social change, fieldwide change. Um, and that's the reason that we're talking. Like, we're not here just to get to know each other better, better, even though it's great getting to know you better, Aaron. And right, who else are going to be part of our beautiful human community? Like, that's great. But it's what you do after you listen. It's what you do after you learn or you read something that really matters. Like, how are you going to show up? Are you going to be a, an accomplice or a change agent or a co-conspirator for these groups of individuals that have been yelling, screaming, pleading to you that they want you to show up? So, you know, that to me is what the Perfect. change part is about. Perfect. Yes. And I love that too. It's, it's like when the mic turns off, am I still the same person that I am right here talking about those things? Does my behavior continue beyond, um, you know, this recording or beyond listening to the podcast is what happens, what change are you going to make? And I think um, we'll talk about things that, you know, we want to encourage people to do, but um, it all, it all revolves around changing your behavior. Because, you know, we're behavior analysts. Yes. <laughs> All right. So let's do, just so people know who they're talking to, let's do brief introductions to us. So who who am I? Well, you just said about getting to know me. So why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself, Denisha? Okay. Um, well, obviously, my name is Denisha. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I am a BCBA uh, clinical director of an agency. I'm located in the vicinity of Maryland. Um, my background is in mental health counseling, and I initially started by doing work um, with clinical and personality disorders. So um, I essentially I've worked with a lot of populations um, in the short period of time that I stayed in mental health. So I did um, the homeless population for a while. I did substance abuse counseling. I worked with children who were um, victims of sexual abuse and assault, and then also did work with some advanced diagnoses as well. Um, and I love mental health. So every now and again, you'll still hear me talking about mental health, but I um, ended up falling in love with behavior analysis. And a little backstory for that is <laughs> I was working in general population and I felt like week after week, I would see a client and they would come sit down on my couch and I, in my head, I'd be like, didn't we just talk about this last week? <laughs> like what, <laughs> what happened? Like, you know, there's no, there was no behavioral change outside of, um, outside of this session. So that could either speak to me as a therapist or just the limitations that I think, um, that I had in terms of like, behavioral activation, right? And like creating change. And so um, I love behavior analysis for that component. Um, outside of all that, I consider myself an activist. I've been an activist for quite a few years, but also an educator. Um, I do workshops teaching the isms. So they're specifically um, surrounding anti-oppression. And I also work with national advocacy groups that are focused on women's rights criminal justice reform, educational reform, and racial justice. My interests uh, include disrupting and dismantling systems that legalize and normalize the lessening of the human experience for certain marginalized groups. And that's super important to me um, to keep that at the forefront. And I say forefront like three times now, but just to keep that at the forefront of what really matters, you know, recognizing what is actually happening in the world, but then what can we do to tear those down? Um, and I am also interested in the healing and the true liberation of self and community. And I want to make sure that I do that by recognizing dignity and the power that is within um, those groups that have been typecasted to be lesser than and knowing that they were you know, never lesser than, and that there is beauty and dignity in these groups and especially, you know, in my community as well. And so that, those are, those are my interests. I love that. I love that. Yours is so much more elegant than mine. <laughs> um, I will say, I will say like you, you're um, like, when did you start doing all of this work? Oh, that's a whole show. Um, no, um, <laughs> I started doing this work um, in college, for sure. Like actually being trained 
learning the language and actually training other people that started in college. And that was very much so not a choice. Um, I needed to because of the things that I was experiencing while um, attending a predominantly white campus um, and undergoing some really overt racial um, racial acts um, on and off campus. And so, you know, it forced me to have to like wake up a little bit and and figure out what was happening and what was the difference between certain people and myself. Um, so yeah, I, I think when I was in high school, I definitely noticed some things. I'm from St. Louis and um, St. Louis is a place where there is segregation. Um, I was in the predominantly black area and I knew there was a difference when I drove only a few miles out. Mm -hmm. um, and that was like predominantly white. Um, so I was noticing things there, especially, and also with like policing, like we were aware of unfair practices, like being targeted at certain times of the month. So in high school, I was thinking about it, but I didn't have, I didn't have the language for any of that. It was just a noticing that was taking place. And then I went to college and it just kind of like everything snowballed. And I was like, I need to figure out what this is. And I think by my second semester in college, I was writing like one of my term papers was oppression in the classroom because I was feeling it from within. Oh, wow. And, and nobody gave me that language initially. Like I didn't I hadn't even sought out training at that point. I just I needed to find a word to describe what I was experiencing that I did not understand. And so I sought it out and I was literally writing papers about it freshman year in college. It was that um, distinct. Wow. Yeah, that's that's interesting because, and again, this gosh, this could be its own episode. Is like the difference between our lives and the privilege that I've had and the privilege that you haven't had, and then even like how that has kind of evolved for me, um, to a to a different degree, and that that has kind of changed. But um, but yeah, like because that's what I'm I, I'm realizing is like all of these interests that you have, and that's great. Like I I, I think I'm so new to this that. Like I haven't had time to, um, to formulate all of that. Like I just have realized like, oh my gosh, this is, um, I'm now a part of this group and I have been, um, but taking that and attaching that to a value. Right. Mm -hmm. But because my privilege has allowed me to kind of escape a lot of that, you know, like that it, and I've kind of just shut it down again. That's another, um, that's another whole nother episode, you know, as far as like identity and privilege and things like that. But um, okay. Anything else about Denisha that you want to? I think that's it. Yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I wish people could see our video going back and forth right now. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. So, um, so my name is Aaron. My, uh, my pronouns are they and them just for everyone to know. I am currently uh, an adjunct faculty member at two universities, so Capella University uh, in the Masters of ADA program, and then at Shenandoah University in their uh, undergrad psych program and their ABA behavior analysis program. So kind of mixed and matched, uh, getting my PhD right now. So uh, once that happens, I probably won't have to like, yeah, I know, right? Like <laughs> You say that, but then it's like, oh, I've got to go do this. <laughs> afterwards. So, um, yes. Okay. So I, I also, alongside teaching, I love to teach. I think that's one thing that I've really, um, learned to, that, that I am very passionate about is, is teaching. So I'm actually a BCBA supervisor, um, and I do board certification supervision, uh, in the States and then have a couple supervisees internationally as well, which I've really come to, um, to love working with them to learn and taking a learner's perspective, um, about uh, behavior analysis and the view of that in other cultures um, has been a very humbling experience for sure. Um, I, I am one of the co-creators of Confessions of Behavior Analyst Group. And the reason I bring that up is because we talk about culture and, um, and how building a culture and the culture around behavior analysis um, we kind of identified that there needs to be this shift. And, uh, and so our values within that group are being honest, humble, and human, uh, and being, you know, okay to say things in a kind way and being humble about our science and not thinking that we stand on a pedestal, um, and that we're human and we make mistakes and we're here to learn. And so, um, that kind of started this whole process too, as far as, uh, 
you know, what's really important to me and being passionate about that. And so from that, um, you know, developing a new organization that focuses around providing training and consultation, um, more to cultivating gender diverse environments. And what's funny, we just talked about the word diverse and how there can be limitations to that because there's also different like gender expansive or variants or things like that. So I'm like, hmm, maybe I should use a different term because it all means the same thing. But mm. um, but just uh, being uh, cultivating these inclusive environments through the way that we um, it's not just saying um, I'm cool with you being um, transgender or uh, you know, however you identify, but it's how do we build these affirming environments? What are the actions that organizations are taking, the language that they're using, uh, the way they're manipulating their environment, um, you know, all of these things. And so that has become like the the just main passion that I have as far as, and then changing just not on organizational scale with, with um, you know, businesses and things like that, but on a like larger global scale and looking at how, um, you know, we, we live in such a binary system, right? As far as gender goes and to be able to, you talk about dismantle, <laughs> to take that down would be, um, it, it seems almost impossible, but what are things that we can do to, uh, you know, with parents or school systems and looking at these different kind of pockets that we can target um, and the work that's already been done and, and helping kind of promote some of those great things that are already out there. Um, so that, I mean, just in general, as far as I think you, like I said, said it so eloquently, <laughs> uh, mine is not quite there yet, but, but definitely, um, building like community and supporting individuals who, who are, um, you know, you say marginalized, uh, that I can connect with, that I can help support and give a voice to. So, um, in a nutshell, that's me. I mean, in terms of like other, uh, interests, uh, I've, I've been a foster parent for the past five years and adopted several kids from the foster care system. So trauma informed care. Uh, and then, um, you know, you talked about like mental health, but, um, you know, addiction and how all of that plays a role, uh, in our behavior. Uh, and then, um, yeah, actually I think that's, that's it, but yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, you know what, I think, I think it's really, I think it's cool that we can recognize like there it's okay to be at a starting point. Right. And like, there is no expertise. I don't, I don't consider myself an expert at this, even though um, I've been learning about it for so long because there's so much more learning that I have to do. Um, and I think being able to still speak, knowing that there's a lot more that you need to know, but doing that in a way it's humbly acknowledging, right? Cause mm -hmm. unfortunately there could be another side of that coin where there are folks that know nothing and are trying to, you know, use that nothing of information to continue to hold people where they are uh, socially now, but it's okay to, to be growing and evolving. Cause we're going to continue to do that. And, um, there's someone that still can learn from you no matter where you're at. And so if you're feeling like you're just starting this journey, there's someone who hasn't even begun and there's going to be somebody that listens to that and you're going to inspire them to even just start walking. Right. And so I think that's cool. Yes. Yes. We get to model, we get to, um, Von, or, uh, gosh, I can't talk tonight. Uh, values. I'll touch on that a little bit mm. more for sure. Cool. Okay. So the premise of this show, the whole thing that we're trying to, we're bridging social justice and behavior analysis. So passion for social change. Um, and we're both behavior analysts and love the science of human behavior. It is for me, at least the lens that I see the entire world through. Um, and that does not exclude anything. So, um, so why don't you, Denisha, give us a little bit um, talk, just speak to, to bridging social justice and behavior analysis. Um, all right. So I think when we sat down and we were talking about doing this, um, one, I was immediately like ready for it. Um, <laughs> but it's, it definitely feels like a need, right? Um, I think that there is a lot that the social justice sphere and folks who are part of these, um, 
these groups and not other groups, but these groups that have been um, historically left out of conversations, um, but still have been very present, very much here. They've always had a voice, but there's, you know, because of the powers that may be or whatever, have chosen to ignore them. Um, but they've always been there, right? And I think that, but we, there's a lot that we can learn from groups um, in the social justice sphere as behavior analysts. And then there also could be things that behavior analysts can inform, um, especially talking about behavior change, um, whether it's on an individual or a group level. And so for me, bridging the two together is personal because I absolutely love the field. I love the science, I should say. I remember like reading Skinner's work and just falling in love, especially when he got to the point where he was talking about the um, justice system. And he was talking about um, essentially like using punishment procedures and, and how they don't work. And that's just like, in, in terms of like, you know, I think about like folks who speed, like we know the reason behind that. Like we slow down when we see a cop, but if we're going to speed, we're going to speed. Right. And just talking about those limitations. And when he, you know, gave his summary and that I was like, yes, this is it. Like someone gets it. And, and to me, I felt like my social justice brain going off on that side, because like, if we know that these are limitations and why do they exist, but then also being able to think about some reasons why they would exist and what's the function of these yeah. rules that are um so anyway because of my love for the science and the field um i also recognize that there's a lot of stuff that's not being addressed in terms of culture equity diversity or whatever term that you want to use and so for me it's like you like it so much so i guess it's the whole thing of like working from the inside at this Mm -hmm. point and so um we definitely have an issue. I think as in behavior analysis, we have an issue, but it's not just a behavior uh, analysis issue. And it's not just a board issue like the BACB. And it's not just an ethics issue or a policy issue, but it's a social validity issue. Like it's everyone's thing. Right. And, and, and so, um, but so like, it's a people issue essentially. Um, and so I think that we must do better if we're going to truly serve the people that we say we care about and, For me, I think about uh, Skinner's quote when he said, why are we not saving the world? Right. Exactly. (laughs) Read my mind. (laughs) Yeah. And and, but hearing that and knowing our field, um, I think, how can we save the world if we can't save our field? And to go a little further, how can we save our field if we can't even save ourselves? And for me, that just means how are we going to? How are we going to be valid socially if we won't even acknowledge the things that exist between this microcosm, this this smaller group of individuals that is very reminiscent to what's going on on the outside world? Um, Definitely. Yeah. No. And it's interesting because I've heard the argument because you said, you know, if we can't save the world, if we can't save our field and how if we can't save ourselves. Right. So all Mm -hmm. of that. So essentially coming down to we individually need to change. And I've heard the argument uh, many places um, that, you know, we're trying to create all of this big group social systems change with individual solutions. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't think that's necessarily true because if I think if everybody kind of took accountability for themselves, right. Um, I would imagine the powerful amount of change that could come from that. If, if everyone identified a a value that may not be in their best interest, you know, that is uh, essentially, um, you know, to, to be a good human, which I don't, not that everybody values that, but if majority people acted in alignment with, with that, you know, I mean, uh, we would have system wide change, Mm -hmm. you know, one thing I think that's super, it's not funny, but a lot of people tend to try to put that responsibility outside of themselves. Like it's the system's fault. Mm-hmm. It's the policy's fault. The policy and the system is created by people. Um, it's, it, it does a disservice um, to the people that you're talking to, number one, <laughs> to kind right. of um, put, it, put, it, put the blame on something that was created by a human being and so, or human being. So if that's the case, then there definitely is individual responsibility to be had. Right. Um, and I think that 
if we're able to look towards ourselves and create some of that change, then that actually impacts the way that some of these policies work or um, the larger issues that we see in general, because they didn't come from nowhere, right? They didn't just appear magically out of thin air. Yeah. So in, in your experience, those people that are, um, that are kind of putting the responsibility off, are those the people that are benefiting that have the privilege? Is it, is that what you, I mean, is that it? I don't know if that's um, yes, fair to say or not. No. I was going to yeah, say, cause okay. I, it, well, that's why I'm asking because mm-hmm. I feel like some of it, but then I would imagine like, if I'm thinking from my own personal experience and how I identify for years, I kind of just went idly by mm-hmm. and really focused on identifying with what, where my privilege came from and everything else. Like, yes, I identify with it, but I was doing nothing to um, dismantle anything uh, within the oppression that that those identity, like the minority part, a group that I was a part of. So that's what I'm saying is I'm kind of calling myself out in a sense, you know, is saying that I was passive. I was silent for Mm -hmm. quite some time. Yeah. And so that's, that's that yes and no part because (laughs) it really goes into, um, So yes, there are going to be folks who want to maintain the system because it benefits them, right? And we, as behavior analysts, we talk about like, what's the function? Um, So there's some benefit that's going on there. But then if you're part of one of these groups, like you've learned that information as well. And for you, it's part of your learning history and you're acting in accordance to what you've also learned. And so, yeah, you've been passive you were taught to be passive. You were taught that this was mm-hmm. normal and this is uh, your experience. And it, it was probably, you know, not even necessary to hone in, hone in on or pay attention to. Like this was just it. And so um, I think it's absolutely possible for, for it to come from both sides. And that's the internalization piece of it and learning yeah. um, some of those uh, messages that are meant to harm you as well and just right. kind of taking it in and, and believing it at face value. Awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll have a lot to talk more about <laughs> considering this is just like an introduction. I know. Ah. Um, I do want to say, I think that we as behavior analysts, like we have an opportunity and I think that we have an opportunity with this show, Aaron, to discuss some of these issues that are larger issues in the world, but then also the ones that impact our field. So I'm thinking about the things that are happening outside that could come or that probably have come into the field already that people haven't addressed. But like, I'm thinking about the ice raids, mm-hmm. like, yeah, like what happens if you are serving a family and this family has been pulled apart and separated because of these ice raids? Like, how are we as behavior? And like, do we know how to address this? Like what's going to happen? Like how, and, and how do we even view that? Right. Um, and so, you know, I think we have opportunity to discuss, things that we haven't given um, enough attention to. Um, We could talk about racial discrimination, what happens between clients who want to work with a particular um, racial identity group, or we we definitely need to talk about gender and sexuality um, within the field, service and low income clients, incorporating neurodiversity and those who have mental health diagnoses in our field as well. But this podcast is, I think, is going to allow us the opportunity to talk about the limitations that we actually see with our training and with without our field standards. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Like I was just even reading through the ethics code because um, you talk about gender and even like through our ethics code or um, a lot of the research, everything is bi- like within the binary system, you know, so that's very excluding um, to, to a very wide range of us and, uh, uh, you know, and a number of us. And so, um, you know, working to, to call out some of those systems and just, you know, call for change. Um, but then not just saying it, but actually doing something to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to promote that too. Um, but, but just, yeah, I mean, in terms of all of those things, it's, you know, where are the gaps, things that like you're saying, we're being, we're being presented with, um, that we're not, that we're not addressing, you know? Yeah. 
for sure. And I think uh, we can, we can do so much more. I think it's, it's definitely, um, it's very clear that we could do a lot more than what we've been doing. Yeah. I, I think it's understanding, like you were saying, loving Skinner. And for me, it was realizing uh, the power that we have with this science, right? That the amazing things that can come from that because we understand and we have the capacity to, to even um, expand our understanding of human behavior. And if we're not mm -hmm. addressing socially significant um, issues that are harming people, then what, what are we doing? You know, what are we doing? I think that's, that's my big, big question is, we've got, we've got certain things down. We've, we've nailed, uh, we're doing great in certain areas, but there are these other places that we are just failing at. Um, you know, but that goes back to your whole thing is if we can't, you know, how can we do that if we're not, um, changing ourselves? So that's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. It just, I don't know. All right. So, um, there's, this isn't going to land on everyone, but I'm a Christian. Right. And, um, for some reason, a Bible verse just came to me and it's about the, you know, how can we call out, how can we point out a speck in our brother's eye and not just like turn into the specks that are inside of our own. Right. And so that just popped in my head for whatever reason. Um, there is a lot to be said about other folks are like putting blame on other people, but we also have to be able to turn that within. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Do better. <laughs> now I'm not okay. So I'm not well, and we're gonna have a whole episode on identity. But I, I am not a Christian. I actually identify as an atheist. But mm -hmm. there, there's something that I think about is like my. I think it was my dad always used to say like when I would point at my brother for doing something. He was like, "Remember, you've got four fingers pointing right back at you." And I'm uh -huh, like, "Oh yeah. crap!" <laughs> you know, it's like calling it out. But it's the same kind of like you know thought process. Um, you know, an imagery that goes into that is, um, you know pay attention to yourself. Like, it's not that you can't point somebody, something else out and call something out that you see is wrong, but you better make sure that you're damn well doing work to change yourself too, you know? So, yeah. um, all right. So what are we, what are we doing right now within the area of social justice? And as a field, as a field. Yeah. As, as far as behavior analysis goes. Um, okay. So there have been folks like, Sigrid Glenn and um, other folks who have started to address social justice in some type of way. Um, the A few things that come to mind is like environmental sustainability. I know that there have been mm -hmm. works created about or around that. Um, there's some work created around criminal behavior. That could be another show. I definitely wanna talk about behavior analysts who focus on offender behavior and criminal behavior versus the system mm -hmm. that creates these yeah. criminals and yes. offenders. Yeah. Um, that's another show. Um, hey, have you have you read the book The Nurture Effect? I have not. Oh my gosh! So they talk about that, and they talk about um, very early on. Uh, even within like the educational system, uh, the methods for changing behavior and the aversive control, uh, course of control measures that like school systems use essentially are like breeding. And then we just put them into the cycle of, um, of the, the juvenile system. And the, and it's just, there's, there's no way out essentially because we've manipulated the environment to, um, you know, to set up these behaviors to continue to occur. So, yes. <laughs> Yep. For Another, sure. show, like, Another show. Another <laughs> show. My goodness. And I, I definitely want to talk about that because that's that's one of the things that like kind of a thorn in my side a little <sighs> bit. Like when I, I know I hear about behavior analysts who are working in that field and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not going to typecast every single person, but just noticing um, a lot of times when there are conversations regarding the criminal justice system versus like criminals, quote unquote, or offenders, right. um, the very differences in, in those conversations, right? And yep. so, um, and as, as a person that does criminal justice reform, I'm just like, I think behavior analysts could actually do a lot to help in that room if we kind of consider the scope of <laughs> <laughs> what we view as important. So exactly, anyway. exactly. Yeah. And that's, a, well, that therein lies another problem is not my problem you know, mm. kind of just, you know, 
ignore it, pretend it doesn't exist. Um, right. Okay, so essentially there's a lot that we can do. There's a lot of opportunities. All right, so let's let's talk about, let's kind of dig back a little bit um, and briefly talk about how each of us kind of found our voice. So um, that's what the show is about, is being a voice uh, to to create change. Um, so in order for us to, to do that, we had to kind of, we had to get here somehow. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I know, I know. And we kind of briefly talked about this. Like I asked you with your introduction, you kind of touched on that a little bit. So maybe I kind of, it was a little, um, you know, ahead, but uh, for me, like going back to that act boot camp, that was, that was a huge, that was huge for me and witnessing mm-hmm. people doing or saying hard things in the moment. Um, and realizing that I am not doing those things and I am not um, living an authentic life. Essentially, I'm hiding behind my privileges. What I came out of that and then the few months kind of uh, doing some introspective work, but hiding behind my privilege is essentially what I had been doing for years. And, and I'm ashamed to say that, but you know, it's, I mean, that's part of the show and being vulnerable and um, being that model. But so for me, finding that voice was essentially um, recognizing who I was, finding my identity, um, but identifying my core values, which we'll talk about in a little bit was absolutely key. And then realizing that staying silent, uh, wasn't in line with those values. And if this is who I am and this is who I want to be, then I can't continue down this path. Um, but I will say in order for me to find my voice, like I, there were several people that were kind of like champions for me. You talk about accomplices, Um, and they, uh, it was finding that kind of sense of community that could support me in that, in that whole process. Um, uh, because it was, uh, it, it's interesting. Like we could have, again, talk about, we will, when we talk about identities, but you know, you, you were born essentially, you know, and I kind of had to come to discover part of mine. And so, um, it's, I think too, part of, part of finding my voice was self-compassion as well and kind of letting go of like, all right, you did this past is a past. It's time to move forward. And you have, you have an opportunity. So what about you? What about you? Um, you know, I did, I went over a little bit of like what kind of prompted me to find my voice. I will say what prompted me to keep my voice though. Um, I think about, leaders um, who came prior. And uh, there is this quote by Asada Shakur, and she says, we have nothing but nothing to lose but our chains. And I, that keeps me vocal. We have nothing to lose but our chains. And like, that is the function for me. Like, there's so, there's so much that we need to do, but I can walk with fear. I can walk with knowing that, um, this could have certain ramifications for me because there's nothing else that matters more than loosening the chains and having liberation for all people. And so that keeps me going. That keeps me loud. That keeps me vocal. Um, another quote um, that I have like saved on my phone is my screensaver is by Angela Davis. And it's, you have to act as if it were possible to radically transform the world and you have to do it all the time. And once again, I think that just keeps me just like here and moving in alignment with those values that I've set for myself. Um, and just saying, show up and keep doing it and, and keep working at it. So, yeah, I think that's what helped me. And just also, I want to say, um, I think just recognizing like beauty in in my own lived experiences too, and knowing that there is absolutely every reason to be loud and vocal about that. Right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, That's a great prompt for you to have like that, uh, you know, on the, on the phone, the screensaver. I really like that idea. I, I've done a lot of stuff like that in terms of values and just like that um, when things get hard, what, what can you look at real fast to kind of bring you back to this is what's really important. This is what mm-hmm. I need to do. So yeah. uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So um, for those people that are trying to find their voice, 
Uh, I think that's going to be part of what we're hoping to help. I know we talk about intentions for the show and things that we hope to come. I know people working to become like find the beautiful human inside of them and kind of live, you know, in that path. So uh, let's talk about some tips for people who would be trying to find their voice. Um, I think for people who are trying to find their voice to do things that are in service of their value. And like, if you don't know what those values are and this, once again, say this can be a whole show and we, we will definitely do that, but identify your values, like, and think about who do you want to be like, and what do you want to stand up for or stand for? And I also think, um, and I think about it a lot when I was growing up and reading textbooks about the different points of history and thinking about like, what about those people there? Like, what were they doing when all these things are going on? And I think for me, and uh, and it might be a prompt for other folks, but just to think about if your grandkids or anyone else that's part of your future, if they were to ask you, what were you doing in that time? What were you doing in 2016, from 2016 to 2020? What were you doing? When there were laws that were being created to put children in cages or separating people from their families, or when there were laws that were saying certain people couldn't come into our country, they couldn't travel to our country, what were you doing? Right. Where were you when they decided to roll back protections for specific individuals in the military? Where were you? Mm -hmm. What did you say? And so for me, that's super important because I am an ancestor and we can talk about that another time, but my kids and whoever else comes behind me, they're going to know what I was doing while I was here and I was alive Um, and that I use my voice to the best of my ability to make sure that when one person called for the extermination of one of my fellow brothers and sisters that I was right there saying not on my watch or that I was loud enough to say, this isn't right. And at least being loud enough to say, this is not right Mm -hmm. at least. (laughs) And so, but you know, think about it. You, you could, if that, if that does something for you, think about it in that sense. Like who do you want to say you are to your future kids, grandkids, your future doggies, whatever you have in the future. Like, right. what do you want to, what, how do you want to say um, that you showed up in this world? Yeah. Oftentimes when people do value clarifying exercises to identify, uh, there's an activity where you essentially write your own obituary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, how do you want to be viewed? What do you want people to, to, to know about you? You know, so I kind of equate that to what you just said, but I'd really do like the imagery of like the grandkids and, um, you know, like when this was happening, I was doing this. So I know uh, my grandfather was fighting World War II, you know, I and that whether he had a choice at that point or not. But like, that's what I know that he, he was doing at that point in time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me as his grandchild, you know, that that um, that was pretty neat, you know, uh, and a model for sure. So mm-hmm. um, another thing that I think we need to do is build some self-awareness. Because we can have values. That's great. Um, at, but build some self-awareness around our biases and the behaviors that we're having. Uh, we can talk about how to do that. But I think just for right now, just starting to acknowledge that um, these biases uh, are, are at play all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's OK that we have them. And I think saying that people get ashamed. They're like, oh, my gosh, I'm you know biased. And the leaders of the Women's March and. Um, I have participated in marches that upheld white uh, white women and white feminism and white dominance and supremacy in ways that that are counter to that. And I and I think that it's just the challenge that comes with an organization that's that big. And um, and so I I want to be clear that I will critique some of the some of the you know the women's march like the the pink fucking pussy hats and like some of the shit yeah. that people who participate in the Women's March, how they exist, um, I will be critical of. And simultaneously, I, everything I've learned, I, I, um, I got, it was a Linda Sarsour email from the, the Women's March listserv that got me um, to up my activism. And, and really, they taught me about nonviolent civil disobedience, um, 
you know, I, I have learned so much and Linda and Tamika Mallory, um, and, uh, you know, Carmen, Carmen. Pred, they are just extraordinary leaders. Um, and I have, I have learned more from them than I can put into words and so many other women from the women's March, quite frankly. Um, a lot of the state leaders are folks that I know well, and, um, it's an extraordinary organization. So I just want to be not just throw shade, but also yeah. um, give credit where credit's due. And, you know, one other thing I would add, uh, not that's separate, but that a learning that I got from, um, and I, again, I think this was um, also Linda, but I'm not certain. I think it's a collective belief in the movement is that we don't throw anyone away. Mm -hmm. and, um, and sometimes I think that is the hardest principle to stand by. Um, because it's really easy to like unfollow, block, stop being friends with, don't talk to, or even like di like separating from family. Like I know people have had really painful separations from members of their family over like Trump's election or um, beliefs. And, and even the most painful of those separations, um, still it's still reflective of a system that says that people are disposable. And if we really believe that nobody is disposable, then we're saying that nobody is disposable. And I think that um, I think that that's a really hard place to exist in when um, you know there's such violence and and hate and um, you know I feel such rage against that. Um, but I, I have a friend who's um, a prison abolitionist who was talking about the murder and the arrest of of the murderers the other day and, and just said like, I'm not here to celebrate um, punishment or to celebrate an arrest because if I fundamentally don't believe in the system of jails and prisons, then, it, then I don't believe in them. And it doesn't change because they're, they're like, because it's these guys, I, the system, like the system hurts everybody who's in it, even if it hurts them like disproportionately. And I, and I, some of the biggest learnings I've had are from activists like that who center that level of integrity and mission into their work in such a way that pushes me that back to the accountability to really wrestle with why I could both say like, uh, you know, all of this stuff about freedom and like lock them up, they should rot in jail or this person, I, you know, I wish this person would, you know, whatever bad thing would happen to them. And I think that, um, back to what, why it resonates with me though, is I think that white folks love to throw people away. We love to throw people away and we throw other white people away when they don't align with our values. And, and that is also an act of privilege. And it's an act of, um, of like separation where I decide that I am better or different or like, um, you know, like you just don't know yet. And I know, which is also like exceptionalism and it, and it's like just tied into all these like really harmful values and beliefs. And, and I think that I think a lot about what it means to not throw anyone away and what it means to reconcile with harm and to have space to, um, like kind of create community and um, have some restorative practices to restore trust and community even when um, quote unquote bad things happen. And I think that um, white people, we need to do better at not just discarding the hard conversations or the people we think are never gonna listen, but really like finding a new way, keep finding a new approach because people of color don't have the option to decide like, well, this is all just too hard to fight. Um, you know, certainly I, I think we all have moments and, and lots of folks have moments, but like, there's no opting in or opting out. And so white people, we need to be relentless in that. Like we need to find a different approach. If this isn't working, then what will and, and kind of stick, stick with it. But I, it's just another one that's really stuck with me about not throwing people away and what that really means. So can we, can we like dive into that like a little bit more and talk about maybe like, what is the difference between, um, like what's the difference between not throwing people away or like you know, we talk about like cancel culture or things like that um, versus setting boundaries? Like what are things I'm willing to do and not willing to do? Um, you know, because they're they're just truly toxic people out there, the ones that are just not willing to hear um, what you know, and whether it's about race, whether it's about um, gender identity, whatever it is. And so um, and I'm not trying to fl flip it to talking about gender, so to speak, but like for me, there are certain things that are hard lines and there's certain things that aren't. And here's my here's my line. 
when you're willing to come across that line, then we'll talk. It's never canceling anybody. Um, there's always forgiveness. There's always that. If, if I didn't have that, I would never have anybody in my life. Right. <laughs> um, and, so, but where's that? Like, how do you set boundaries with those people and not can't cancel, not forget? Cause you're right. They're not disposable. Well, I think you just said it. And and I think the important distinction here is like, I think that there's a, a real important, huge difference between um, people who harm me personally and um, and people who are harmful around identities that I don't hold or occupy. Right. And so that word people get even more like, oh, you can't say that. Not in America. <laughs> but when we look at historically what mm-hmm. has happened in other countries, people need to be real about what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely terrifying. And in many ways, I don't even know really what is the next best way to go because I know that many people that I talk to feel helpless, feel like, well, I'm not going to lose my benefits. So y'all can go protest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Y'all can go demonstrate if you don't want to say protest, whatever it is. And so black people, because I love to talk about black people, we are sometimes stuck between this rock and a hard place of do I exercise my my rights? (laughs) And you can see my air quotes. Or do I continue to try to work within this system that's created for me to work within it so that I can provide for my children, so that I can take care of my elderly parents, so that I can have access to some sort of edu- some sort of halfway halfway decent healthcare, education, um, job? It's this it's this kind of catch twenty two that is mm-hmm. really 